Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly journey into the well-fed tummies of some of Las Vegas's most relentless eaters. I'm your host, Al Mancini. Our friend Rick Moonen has been tending to some personal business in Florida in the wake of the hurricane, so he will not be with us this week. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, we wish him the best, and we will hopefully have him on the show next week to update us. In the meantime, I am incredibly grateful to our other frequent co-host, OffTheStrip.com, Samantha Gemini Stevens, who was willing to change up her schedule a bit at the last minute and sit in with us again this week. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I enjoy it every time. It's always great to have you here. And if you are sitting there in awe of how good this podcast sounds, Aww. how clear our voices are, and the fact that we rarely pop our peas, <laughs> except that time, Very except well that done. time. <laughs> well, there's one man responsible for all of that, and I am, of course, referring to the one and only Mr. Rich Johnson. How are you, sir? Good. Welcome to my patio, too. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, very nice here. It's beautiful. And here in God's waiting room, a.k.a. Sun City Summerlin. Yeah. Sort of desert landscaping in God's waiting this was there was about twenty or thirty things here when we moved here, and Joanna added. Oh, I think I'll add like two hundred plants over three and a half. I already years. told her I'm hiring her when I'm ready to yeah. update my backyard after the construction. <laughs> I was say that's that's the deal here. And what do I see over there? There's like zucchini or something. What are these big bushy? green things you got going on look like they should have some kind of fruit or vegetable uh, like that one straight back there no? straight back there it, it's uh, gosh and i should know this it's not a vegetable that we have uh, two planting beds and then the only thing we've been able to grow is basil and kale oh <laughs> and uh, kale. that's about it we've tried all kinds of tomatoes and peppers and things that are just too hot here go three four blocks away and people have these these massive uh, greenhouses full of wonderful stuff, but we have our but own you're little... you're actually blaming the weather, the climate change in three blocks away? Uh, yeah, Not your I green really thumb. am. <laughs> no, 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 it's her green thumb. Oh, okay. She's great. <laughs> our place okay. in Maryland was, was an English garden. It was huge and all kinds of good stuff. It's just a weird little spot we have here. The, the thing is, in this neighborhood, the, these are the houses they were built first about 30 years ago, and they have these large yards. The farther up you go up the hill, the later they made them, they made the yard smaller. Yeah. Realized retired people didn't want to mess with yards. Of course, they didn't know she was coming. So. And also, Vegas just doesn't do yards anymore. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. Really, no. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we do here. Premium. Desert scape. Okay. Well, there you go. And a little info on where Rich lives. So now you can stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Burglars. Uh, I got 18 cameras and a lot of pepper spray. There you go. <laughs> and some ferocious cats. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we always start the show with a discussion of where we've been dining recently. Just for a change of pace, I'd figure I'd kick it off this week unless there are any objections. Oh, no, please. Okay, let's do this then. I dropped by the Boss Cafe in the link last Thursday to congratulate Buddy V, Buddy Velastro, on getting his key to the strip from Councilman Tick Segerbloom. Uh, Buddy looked great, actually. He's lost a bit of weight since last time I saw him in the spring, which I always notice because I gain weight I between times that I see everybody. <laughs> um, his entire family was with him. They all seemed really happy and proud. I believe it was one of his son's birthdays on the day that Buddy was honored. So this was a big family affair, but Buddy... As always, he was gracious, um, spent some time chatting with me, and told me what it meant to him to get this honor. I am so humbled and honored to be getting the key to the strip. I feel like Vegas is a second home to me. Um, I love coming here. I love investing in Vegas. I love to create jobs in Vegas. 
and I, I can't, like, I got no words. I really, like, I'm speechless. When I heard I was getting the key to the strip, it just, like, really touched my heart and made me feel amazing. And I went directly from Buddy V's to Oktoberfest at the Orleans. I thought I was going to have to tap a keg. I was wondering. I saw the yeah. video. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I was all like, I actually, I looked it up. I was like, what's this going to be like? With the you hammer know? and the Yeah, with thing. the hammer and shit, <laughs> yeah. man. And I was all psyched. And then um, I got there and they're like, you just got to pour a beer. Yeah. I, I, said, sense okay. a, I sense a Hofbrau House restraining order somewhere in the backstory here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. We'll, we'll talk about Hofbrau House too later in the show in the news, but... But um, yeah, that, that was weird. But it was—I had a lot of fun going out there. That's um, awesome. You know, their their food game was—I didn't get to taste it because it took forever to get the food delivered. And finally, I said, "Fuck it, I'm just leaving." It was a huge. <laughs> so crowd, it was a mess. I mean, it was actually really slow when I got there on Thursday night. Okay. So they were just getting their shit together. Yeah. I don't begrudge anybody. You Not know, at getting all. their feet. You know, takes a while. Yeah. And, you know, a couple hours. I was there during the first couple hours of operation, so I was still a little shaky on food service. I didn't. I can't report back on the food, but I hope it was good for those who did it. That's great. Sue and I went out. We rode on the Ferris wheel. We went on those oh stupid, my. you know, carny rides, yeah. right? Like where yeah. you know you are taking your life into your hands because you just <laughs> don't know how much meth was done by but the person. Were you it allowed together. to take yeah. the beer with you on the ride? We were. Yes. And yes, oh. I, there's a photo of Sue drinking my big oversized beer on the Ferris wheel. That and is great. It was. A a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and who? The, God bless the Carnies. They put it together well enough that it spun around without us falling to our deaths. <laughs> yeah. so I do love that. You know, it's, it's so funny. It, the, those carnival rides are so much more frightening than like the scariest ride at a real amusement right? park because you just don't know who <laughs> no, put it together. No, because they're portable. You know? they're yeah, I mean, how many times you put something together and you had an extra piece left yeah, over? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it makes you wonder. This thing just came in on a semi from Provo. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we like had a great- Ikea built an amusement park. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and there, there are some more Oktoberfest going on. We'll get to that in the news. Uh, also on Friday, I went to my first Golden Knights game of this season. Yay! Of course, it was preseason, but go Knights go. Go Knights go. They didn't go that night, but that's okay. We were watching yeah. people, seeing how they worked out. That you know all the all the things that real sports fans understand. I don't know. I just go. I, I cheer. It the was event. Fun. I was surrounded by children. You know, we have oh. this section where we got our tickets. I don't know if you've been with Leanna, John. No, not yet. I've, I've not been to a game yet. Ah, uh, well, I need well, to work I have on to take that. you to a game. But you know, <laughs> our tickets are up in the mezzanine, and I like the section. It's pretty cool. Uh, but every year, I think a lot of the original season ticket members for these like mid-price tickets drop out, and then sure. they reassign them. And so, for some years, uh, you know, this is the sixth year. Some years, our our section has been where they give away to all the visiting teams, friends, and family, oh, which oh, sort of sucks, yeah. right? When you're doing that. But this year, it was um, teacher appreciation night, and it was packed with school teachers oh, and yeah. their kids all around us. So that was a lot of fun. Sue was distracted by all the babies, but um, you know, <laughs> we had a good time at the Golden Knights game. I'm, I'm so excited. I've, I've got a, a, a challenge for you uh, to upgrade your hockey knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, and I'll explain where I was the other night, but uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas hockey team, plays just up the road at the Golden Knights training facility, City National. Mm-hmm. So maybe next month we should take in a game or two. It's like 15, 20 bucks. Yeah, I, if I could that find the time, fun. I'd love yeah. to. We should yeah. record over there. God, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I actually <laughs> like that pizza place. On the ice in the middle place. of the game. <laughs> the pizza place up there is actually pretty good. Mackenzie okay. River, and yep. that's been a Foley family um, pizzeria that he runs that in other cities, and they put that up into Great. the City National Arena. And you're right across the street from downtown Summerlin. And exactly. Things. Yeah, that's a good food. Um, I will say, food options at T-Mobile were not 
all in play, at least the ones that I was looking for. Not all of them there yet. Or maybe some of my favorites just aren't coming back. I'm happy to say I did see Rollin' Smoke. I did not see Snapo Razzo. Um, I had a sausage from Forte Sausage, which is right under my seat, so that makes me happy. But I will be curious to see how the options fill in when the regular season kicks off because um, I didn't see any of Mark Marone's concepts there yet. I did not see... um, yeah, I didn't see Snapo Raza. I was happy to see Freed's. So, um, you yeah, know, maybe they're coming in a little at a time. Yeah, let's find out some more. On Saturday, I attended Alicia Shevatone's app. app, app that, 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 that. No, wait. Even talk. The H is silent because it's, it's not there. It's the Appy Hour right. at the Vegas Valley Winery. That was a lot of fun. Good food. I really enjoyed that. So thank you, Alicia, for having me out there. On my way out, I visited both Craft House Brewery and the Deadwood Meadery. Has anybody been to the Deadwood Meadery? Not yet. yet. No. I was invited. I've seen some photos, but I have not. Mead as in mead? Mead. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Um, so it's all mead, which is strange. It's not right in the main um the main Henderson Booze District. They okay. are members of the Henderson Booze District, okay. the Artisan Booze District, but you actually have to get in your car and drive down the road a little bit before you get there. It's not okay. really part of that stroll, that dr- drunken stroll Got through it. the parking lots. So you definitely need to take a separate Uber to get over there. But all they serve is mead. They have eight or nine varieties. You can do mead um, flights. You know, they've got the session meads, which are the lower alcohol volume. They've got some that are really high in alcohol volume. They all, you know, I mean, some I thought were like up to 13%, oh my goodness. 12% or yeah. something ridiculous, like a wine almost, you know? Um, so whatever they were, they, they were pretty high. It was really, it was an educational experience for me because I mean, look, I've drank, I have consumed mead at Ren, ren fairs, oh, yeah. where I've been up for like 48 hours and decided it was a good idea to go to a ren fair. <laughs> that's I don't what know you need, yeah. Any of the mead was ever any good there. Apparently, that's this weekend here in Vegas. Yeah, so I'm not going to be doing that. So, um, <laughs> uh, people get mad when I sat in the king's tent that one to sleep and passed out that time. I think I may be excommunicated from the entire fucking <laughs> yeah. renaissance at this point in my life. <laughs> right to the dark ages you go. That's yes. right. But um, Deadwood Meadery, definitely worth checking out. And um, I hope to have those guys on the podcast sometime soon. What else? On Sunday, I decided to try the lunch menu at RPM. Um, you know, that's the celebrity-fronted Italian restaurant by the folks at Let Us Entertain You. It's yep. over in Caesar's Palace. Um, I had a really good meal. Um, Sue and I were there with um, our, one of our friend's kids. He's 13, 14 years old. I thought this Italian place would be good. We did an escape room that day. Um, so we did some cool bread. We did squash blossoms, a chicken parm, some shrimp risotto, um, and also some butternut squash agnolotti. And I'd say from the chicken parm on one side, which is the most classic red sauce dish, a huge, massive portion, but fucking rock solid. I really enjoyed it. Great. To the butternut squash agnolotti, which are definitely not the red sauce kind of thing, right? Very right. sweet. Though. That is a super yeah. sweet dish. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they showed a wide a wide range there. And so this is definitely a restaurant for the masses. It's Italian food for the masses. But it's a more sophisticated, modern take on on red sauce Italian than maybe what you would get at Carmine's right down the okay. hallway there, right? They, they play the hits, but they play them very, very well. Yeah, and they play them for a slightly different audience. That, yeah. You know, it's not necessarily the red and white ta- checkered tablecloths. You know, it's yeah. not the Chianti necessarily. It's a pretty room. Um, yeah, really beautiful room. It was just renovated after being just renovated to be the slanted door a year <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, earlier. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I had a really good time being over there, and I want to go back for dinner sometime soon. And that's about it for me. I know I took up most of this session <sighs> probably, but... 
That's okay. I'll what do you guys it, got it, for it, us? It, it, it. So while you were catching the Golden Knights, I was down the, the block at Allegiant watching UNLV football. The Rebels dug out of a 17-zip hole and beat New Mexico. Yes. About 21,000 in, uh, in the room. They just do the lower bowl for Rebels games. They could fit about 30,000 maybe, uh, and we'd like to see more because uh, they're doing very well, 4-1. and Food-wise, almost everything was there. Fuku, Capriati's Pink Box, Rollin' Smoke, Abuelos Tacos, Neon Dogs, Hop Valley. The one I was going for, as you said, wasn't there. Snapperazzo. Ralph, you're killing me. Come on. <laughs> Where you at, Ralph? Yeah. I uh, know he's working on a lot of new hot dogs because if you were at the party that we talked about a couple weeks ago, early on we had some tasters going around because he had uh, uh, given us some to give him some tasting notes. So hopefully we'll see a lot more that so I, I drowned my sorrows in a rolling smoke uh, beef dog covered in pulled pork and, and a little shredded cheese. And, uh, you know, yeah, Coors Light, which, <laughs> you know, there were there were other options there. But coming right out of the tap at about 33 degrees with that thing in a stadium watching football, it could not taste better. Okay. It was wonderful. Okay. I went to Skinny Fats for the first <laughs> well, time. Well, I just never thought that he'd have anything to be more embarrassed about than his choice in junk food, but his choice <laughs> there we in go. beer. Coors Light. <laughs> it was like, at the stand, it was either Modelo or Coors Light. And I said, ah, give me the Coors Light. Dude, I, every time I buy a beer, pursue it at a T-Mobile, it's a Bud Light, so I'm not yeah, yeah. beer snob here, right. man. You know, it's sports. Yeah. You drink the sports beer. <laughs> you drink the yeah. sports beer. Uh, I have always never been a big fan of that 1960s happy face yellow thing that is the logo for skinny fats and it kind of <laughs> kept me out of the place sure we were walking around looking for something for lunch in downtown summerlin went in there and and oh man uh my prejudice is gone i had an awesome blt with avocado joanna had the short rib curry that i wanted to steal from her great flavors great service a little loud inside but uh, when it's a little cooler i can go out to the little uh, outside uh, deck and be very happy with that again Took a big casino walk on Monday from Encore all the way down to Cosmopolitan. Yeah, my calves uh, hurt. Lunched at the Henry, which is the uh, the 24-hour place in the Cosmopolitan, probably the best 24-hour place, I think, on the Strip, because they'll do everything and anything for you. And then uh, I went to Whole Foods, which I do quite often because we love Whole Foods, having yep. a big steak tonight. And I brought you a little party favor here on the yeah, deck. Yeah, what's going on All on my table. junk food junk thing. Food. I got some elevated junk food, something called the Good Crisp Company. And these are basically Whole Food, free-range, fair-trade Pringles. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I have the local— the tennis the, balls were hurt. In the, the originals uh, right. and, and the barbecue. I've not had the barbecue, so— Got a good crunch oh, on that. Oh, I love the They're crunch on that. Certified gluten-free, non-GMO, everything in there, dried potato flakes, sustainable palm oil, tapioca starch, all kinds of spices. There you go. It's actually kind of a muted barbecue from the yeah. full fat, regular yep. stuff you get at Lay's or uh, yeah, Alley or something like on. that. Now, the, That's the regulars, a good point. The regulars, I think, are have a little more potatoey goodness to them. And it was all I could do to keep a few around for you guys. And then this other thing, Whole Foods has been baiting and switching on this. There's about five flavors. This is called oven-baked parm crisps. And it's literally, literally little rounds of Parmesan cheese baked. Cool. Not fried. I've been I'm not mad at those. This whole time, they're good. Yeah. yeah. This is a cheddar cheese version. Age. Uh, I like them. They're rich. You know, I like, you know, this is the kind of thing in my 
fat days, days <laughs> like like they're in the past. <laughs> I would down a whole bag of something like this. I can't. They're so rich. Yeah. About three or four of them is all I can do, and then I like them as croutons in a salad. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's because I don't idea. do a whole lot of bread and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a gluten allergy or anything. It just doesn't. Yeah, well yeah. Any chance you can cut down on a little bread? Yeah, it just doesn't sit that's well with me. That's not a bad so idea. So a friend introduced me to this or a version of this, and yeah. Yeah. So you know, you come to my house. You got to. I love got, it. You got thank bubbly you. water, still water, and diet <laughs> stuff, and and uh, palm crisps. Well, thank you so very much, my friend. Yeah. Um, I want to th- mention. You mentioned um, going into skinny fats. You know that yeah. is our friend Mark Marone had um, joined forces with the skinny fats folks, um, which is Reed Slaboski. I always get his name wrong. Sorry, Reed. Uh, anyway, so Mark kind of is involved with redoing the menu over yeah. there. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're if you're digging it, next time you see Mark, make sure you tell him. Done, redone, very nice. And that is, of course, Mark Marone from Graffiti Bow and Gemma Gemma Pizza yep. and all sorts of places and yeah. the new dream hotel that's coming in. I'm going to turn off my mic so I can eat more chips. <laughs> crunch, 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 crunch. Well, he's crunching. Gemini, what have you been eating? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, Thursday I drank my calories. Uh, we met a visiting friend downtown to watch some Thursday night football. We were just sitting at the Four Queens, which I've mentioned before, uh, at Chicago Brewing Company, and then we went went downstairs and hit the bar at Hugo's again. That was lovely. Um, Friday was a day of rest and reset. I mean, as you guys know, after the party and then everybody's been busy running around, we've all talked about kind of needing a break. I think Friday I ate a couple of poached eggs and drank water. (laughs) But I was back at it Saturday. I went to brunch. Uh, A bunch of us met up at Marche Bacchus um, on the lakes. And it was really, really lovely. Um, I had a, what they called a house salad, which I appreciated was not just a bunch of greens and a couple of cut up tomatoes and, you know, some really heavy sauce. It was this really nice spring mix. It had some shaved fennel. I think it had some pears in it, really light um, vinaigrette. And then I just followed that. I went all protein. I loved the beef tartare, super well seasoned, love the cut, love the texture. And then I had the escargot because everybody needs a little garlic and parsley in their lives. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, John had the seafood cob, which was just gorgeous to look at. It had shrimp, it had lobster, it had all kinds of good stuff in there. Um, and then the thing that surprised me was that two of our guests ordered a couple of the sandwiches. They didn't want the brunch food. And they both looked really great, but the turkey must have been amazing because one of the guests got an extra one to go so she could have it again <laughs> later that afternoon. Wow. Um, and so for the, I mean, for the both of us, and I think we might have pitched in a little bit on somebody's sandwich, which was fine. I think it was about 150 bucks. I mean, we got the, I got the all-you-can-drink mimosas, which is, you know, my mimosa is the word orange juice over the top of the champagne, and that's about it. Yeah. I don't like it. Sort dilu- of show it the label. I don't like it diluted. <laughs> Um, had some repeats over the week because of busy schedules and things. So I won't belabor them too much, but Patisserie Menon on Charleston, Moco Ramen down the street closer to College of Southern Nevada, Vesta Coffee Roasters in Summerlin. That seems to be my go-to because it's close to where I live. And then I actually went over to Samba Latte in Boca Park the other day. I hadn't been there in quite a while. And it was really nice to just sit there, kind of listen to some live music on a Saturday morning, grab a couple of coffees. Um, I think I got a protein shake from them with with a banana, and it was really tasty. Cool. Um, I want to ask, have you noticed a change on the menu at Marche Bacchus now that they have a new chef in there? There, Yes, we have. Matter of fact, it was a point of contention with one of our guests and uh, the waitress. Not in a bad way, but he was really looking forward to like chicken and waffles or something, mm-hmm. and it's not on the current menu. And so he pulled something up online that was an old menu, but then I went 
went online later before getting ready for this podcast, and it's a whole different menu that's online. So there are there are some changes. I feel like everything was super fresh. Like it's been a while since I felt that way. Um, I know that they've had you know some chef and some staffing stuff happen over there. I love that they just raise their heads up over it, get through it, um, and really just thought everything was super good. Um, You're gonna see some more Spanish influences. I I'm looking forward to that. Forward yeah, there. that'll be so, awesome. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Spanish, uh, and probably mostly Mexican to be fair, <laughs> yesterday was National Taco Day. As it was we Taco Tuesday. Yeah. So, uh, we decided we were going to have some fun. So we kept it close to home because if you're running around trying to support as local as you can, you're, you're in your car running around. Uh, so we went to four different places and we got 20 individual tacos. Oh man. And on my social media, I listed out how many of each there were. For the most part, it was like one one of each except for a couple because I judge a place I do on its lengua and its tripa and uh, its al pastor like those are my top three um, so we tried a little bit of everything you know we also had shrimp and birria and fish um, but we went to uh, tacos el compita I hope I'm saying that correctly on West Cliff um, I believe that's up near Buffalo and Summerlin Parkway if I'm remembering driving around um, bomb tacos down on Durango. I like those guys. Uh, I love those guys. And I hadn't been there long enough, so I had to go down there. Their shrimp Diablo taco is probably one of my favorite tacos made. It's, I feel like the tortilla is a little bit more cooked up. The, the spices are a little bit amped up. The fish or the shrimp is really juicy. And then you get the fresh veg on top and it's just a really great foil and brightness. Um, we also went to Tacos Mexico on Sahara which a friend of ours introduced us to not too, too long ago. And of all places, and I know I'll get a little bit of shit for this, but it was good. <laughs> Nacho Daddy on Sahara. So I remember when Nacho Daddy first opened, they had the one down in Henderson. I used to run trivia games for their for their bar there. Um, you know, it was it was fine. It, it, it was neighborhood kind of whatever. It's very Americanized, in my opinion. I mean, like, I have nothing against Nacho Daddy. I, I You know, I've worked with them on stories. I'm, sure. I like getting a scorpion shot there, yep. like, which is, you know, where else can you get yeah. a scorpion, a literal, an, an actual yep. scorpion in a shot of tequila or whatever you yep. want to drink it in. Um, you know, if I remember the story, please let me know if, if I'm remembering this right, but the Henderson place was kind of, it became the de facto hangout for the Zappos crew. It really back was. Back when Zappos was still in Henderson. Yep. And then I believe, whether it was Tony himself, Tony Shea, or whether it was DTP, or maybe just some people that worked at Zappos, invested in it or bought it or took it over. And then, because they were so in love with it, it became like, you know, the, the, the hippest place. Yeah. Right? Because they defined what yeah. was hip for a little while. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and there was that little downtown hole in the wall yeah yep the one that was downtown so you know for my money it was always sort of like it's not you know hey zappos crew you guys really know good cocktails but you didn't at that point <laughs> didn't know much about good food i yeah. didn't think right yeah it's a good neighborhood place you know yeah. I, I liked it but it, we, you know we, i never we, thought I it was used to quite live as cool. over there we went we went a lot it was easy um you know to go over there the staff was always really nice i had made great friends with people over the years i'm still friends with somebody who used to be part of their like management opening and he's not with them anymore but um, part of the reason we chose it is we wanted to just do something a little bit different. Um, I don't know how much you guys pay attention to some of the various social media, but Vegas Twitter and Taco Twitter blew up yesterday about conversations about the best tacos in Vegas, which is why we decided to do this last night. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, they were actually really good. We chose the lobster tacos, which... 
take like three people. They're massive. It takes two hands to hold one. I think it's like half a tail. It's breaded. It's fried. It's Whoa. super juicy. Tastes really great. Um, it's on more of a flour tortilla versus the, the corn, which I like. But um, And then they had these really great avocado tacos that were just, they were more like the street size, which was great. You got three on a plate. Um but yeah, we just we had some really great ones from what I think are mostly small business, family-owned places. Uh, if I'm wrong, please somebody tell me. If you want me to keep adding to the list, tell me that too. Um, so for each one, I had a favorite. Um, so yeah, tacos at El, El Campita, my favorite El Pastor of the group for sure. The bomb taco shrimp Diablo, like I mentioned. Um, the pork stomach from Tacos Mexico was super high on my list really tender just enough chew if you're into the awful the awful um kind of cuts when you're eating tacos and things like that definitely got to go check them out okay well thank you for the taco report (laughs) absolutely all right well coming up the man behind two great las vegas bars has a new novel coming out and he speaks about it with al this is food and loathing It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here you are in Vegas, you're hungry, and the choices are endless. But do you really want to trust the crowd? You can trust Neon Feast. Restaurant recommendations from real food pros sharing where they send friends and family. All that knowledge is just a download away on the Neon Feast app. Want the strip? Off strip? Downtown? Great views? Great value? Find smart, informed restaurant recommendations on the Neon Feast app and neonfeast.com. Author P. Moss has a new book out, a work of historic fiction that's set in Las Vegas in 1967. It is a pretty cool book with lots of sex and violence and colorful colorful characters. Sounds like Vegas. But the reason it's of interest to us is that P. Moss, or Moss to his friends, is also the owner of the Double Down Saloon and Frankie's Tiki Room, which is where I sat down with him to talk about his influence on Las Vegas boozing and his novel, Dead Ringer. Hey, Moss, how are you? Hey, Al, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's cool to be here in Frankie's in the middle of the day. You know, my day drinking days are long behind me, so this is a nice little flashback, and I, I love the vibe in here. Yeah, it, it's it's a really nice vibe, and as, as far as day drinking, it's like my, my late night drinking is behind me, so I've come to really love day drinking, <laughs> and, and this is a perfect place for everybody. I mean, at night, it's very busy, and it's nice that people love it, and that's great, but for me, when a place is just, just casual and a little quiet and... To me, that's fun, and uh, I mean, that, that's one of the beauty, beautiful things about Las Vegas is it's a 24-hour town. I'm not necessarily a 24-hour guy, but occasionally I am, and it's nice to know that if you ever want to do it, it's there for you, and that includes day drinking. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I say, you know, I don't go out for sushi at two in the morning anymore, but I want to live in a town where I can get sushi at two in the morning. And that's, there's a certain comfort level in knowing that that can happen. And the same thing with going out for booze at 5 a.m. when your friend's flight gets in. You can go and just start drinking it up, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely correct. I mean, that is that is the beauty of Las Vegas. You know, there's there's a lot to be said for a 24-hour town. And, uh, you know, you, you make what you want out of it. I mean, you, you, you know, whoever you are, whatever you like to do, you can do it because there's no time constraints. You can do whatever you want. And yeah, you know, I've probably told you this story many times over the years, but it's been a long time since we've seen each other and my listeners may not have heard it. But, you know, I moved to Las Vegas from New York City, drove across country with a bunch of my friends, friend who lived at number nine Bleecker Street. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be seeing him tomorrow for the first time in five years. But um, he helped me drive across the country. Um, We all hung out at CBGB in New York. That was our go to spot. When we moved to Vegas, he helped us move here. We were sitting around the first apartment and he said, I've heard about this place called the Double Down Saloon. I hear we have to check it out right we drove that day my first day in town we drove to the double down saloon i believe it was in the middle of the day somebody was painting an r.i.p to joey ramon on the door or on the one of the walls in the doorway when we walked in for the first time i looked around the double down saloon and i said i can live in this fucking town i have a home in this town this makes me feel like cbgb in new york where i attended bar for years and which became my my home base right and so for many years after that double down saloon was my home base so thank you for giving me that and making me feel welcome to las vegas so quickly hey that's my double down pleasure i mean it's just like las vegas being a 24-hour town you know we're a 24-hour bar and you know that's fine as far as it goes but there's always something interesting going on you know i mean not not always but something interesting can go on at any time of the day or night and it's just, it, it can just be crazy. It can be three in the afternoon. It can be six in the morning. It can be whenever. But uh, it's, it's a place where feel, people feel comfortable. It's a, it's a punk rock dive and arguably the world's most popular punk rock dive. And um, yeah, it just people, people make, make, it, make it their home. Well, I want to talk about your book, Dead Ringer. Um, but before we do, I've got to talk about how the Double Down came to be, how Frankie's came to be, and how you've really changed or if not changed just created a whole scene for kind of divey drinking in las vegas that i'm sure was around before i moved to here in 2001 i'm sure it was around somewhere before you came to vegas but what was the scene like before you opened double down what inspired you to open it well first of all um you know uh you know dive bar drinking has been around las vegas for a long long time long before me i just made it cool (laughs) but uh i i always wanted to move to las vegas i lived in new york i lived in la and and i always wanted to end up here and i always wanted to open a bar here and all of a sudden um the time was the time was right and so what i wanted to do is i wanted to open a bar that made me feel comfortable if i was a customer it it's I wanted to open the bar that I wanted, that I would want to go to, that I would want to hang out in, and uh, that became Double Down. And, and you know, it, at first it wasn't as it is now with you know murals and stickers and whatever everywhere. Uh, it was, it was, it was kind of leaning in that direction. But you, you, you see who likes your place. You see who hangs out there, and we became a, a darling of, of, of. of punks and artists and and just like everybody that just didn't seem like they fit in anywhere else 
and then pretty soon I had artists that were painting murals on the walls. And basically what I did, uh, you need to keep true to your vision, but what I did was I just I let them do what they wanted within parameters that I set up. I go, these are the parameters that I've set up because I want it to be how I want it to be. You can do whatever you want within those parameters. And so that's how it physically came to be. And, and there's a lot to be said uh, you know, with, the, with the clientele. Uh, the same way you know people are people are just comfortable there whether you're whether you're a plumber who just got off work or whether you're wearing a suit or whether you're a rock star or whether you're al mancini you just you you go in there and um if you feel comfortable that's your home and that's the whole point is making people feel comfortable whenever they walk in you know it's not like people used to, to um compare it to cheers which is you know i mean physically it's nothing like cheers but you know you go in there, everybody knows your name. You know, I mean, if you go in there at night when it's slammed, maybe not quite so much. But it, And there's a lot to be said for that. It makes people happy. It gives them a home. It gives them a place to go to escape life uh, for an hour or two or six every day or whenever they, they show up. And so it just is what it is. But I, in the beginning, I just wanted to make it into a bar that I would want to hang out in. And to this day, that's what it is. And it has created a few things that have... C- entered the Las Vegas vernacular in a certain way, okay? Ass juice comes to mind right away, and anybody who has not done either shots or frozen ass juice or drank ass juice out of the toilet, ceramic toilets that you've served it out of, um, and also puke insurance, um, you know, these these concepts. I remember when people still rode that horse in there. You had that coin-op horse that you could ride. I don't remember much about it. I think I was pretty wasted every time I saw it in operations. But, you know, some things that really be... And the bacon martini, the world-famous which I've actually done a video with you making a bacon martini along with Gary doing a foie gras martini. So, man, like a lot of creativity went into a dive bar and things that anybody that's been around this town knows all of those things. Well, that's part of the evolution. You let it evolve, but you let it evolve within the parameters you set up. And and all of those things, you know, you just let it happen. You, you, you say something or somebody says something or somebody does something. And you look around and see how people react to that. And if it's favorable... Oh fuck yeah! You just 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 go with it, you know, and uh, that's what happened with all those things. I mean, uh, and, and you forgetting asnog, which is asnog, which is is just like uh, your grandma made on Skid Row. <laughs> anyway, but that's you know that's that's a seasonal thing, and the season is coming up. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's like the way you started. We we had a. Um, there was a liquor promotion. It was something called Bechterova, which at the time, and this is almost 30 years ago, we're double down celebrating its 30th anniversary at the end of November. Um, and it was at a time when Jägermeister was just huge. I mean, it was then what Jameson is today. That's what people drank, even people who should have known better. That's what they drank. Anyway, so Bechterova was something they were pushing as a, um, it was a, like a Jäger knockoff. They, and it, Apparently, it just tasted like shit. And so we had a promotion one night, and they had the big titted girls with the bandoleros, the shot glasses, and nobody would drink this stuff. It was disgusting. Bums would drink it. You know, and I had a sign on the wall. It said, uh, uh, Bechterova, $3 or whatever I put. And uh, nobody wanted it. So I, I just crossed out $3 and put $2. Nobody wanted it. I crossed out $2 and put a dollar. Nobody wanted it. And, and some bum was there, and he goes, I ain't got to drink that fucking ass juice. I go, aha. 
So the sign, I scratched out the name. I put ass juice, put the price back up to $3. It sold out immediately. <laughs> and then I started making my own ass juice, and the rest is history. I mean, about maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, we served our one millionth shot of ass juice. And it was really cool. We did a countdown, like you know, like like in the old movies or on TV, where somebody's in line at the supermarket, and oh, you can go ahead of me, and and all of a sudden streamers come out of the ceiling. You won all this. You won these prizes. So basically, you know, we had a, a, a ton of prizes that you know people had donated, like like surfboards and mountain bikes and all sorts of cool stuff. And uh, and I, I once it got got within a couple of weeks, I did a countdown every day on social media. And so by the time the night came, everybody knew it was going to be that night. And everybody's buying them, you know, four, six, eight at a time and, you know, pass them off to their friends because you got a ticket every time. And so this guy, his name was JC. He was a tourist. He was JC from DC. He was a tourist. He'd been in the bar before. He liked the bar. And this guy won. And everybody's just, they weren't pissed, but they were just, God damn. Damn it, you know, it's like I've been buying all this stuff and, and blah, blah, blah. This guy was so cool. All these cool prizes that he won, he gave them all to the other guys that had been buying shots. He was just wonderful, and it was just the, the camaraderie of the place. And um, I knew I took a long time to get from point A to point B, but it is, it's just, the, there's a lot of camaraderie there. Um, and this is between people who didn't know each other. Because it's just what it is. And it was, made me feel really good. It was just really a nice moment. But that's ass juice for you. Uh, yeah, ass juice makes everybody friendly. <laughs> most of go. us, at least. Few go. get angry, but <laughs> most get friendly. So let's talk about you as an author. This is your second work of fiction, correct? Fifth. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. Oh, Al, you got to get out more. No, I, I, I got to stay in more and read, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I wrote a, a book of stories called Blue Vegas. I wrote a novel in stories called Vegas Knockout. Then I wrote a novel called Vegas Tabloid, which is some really crazy shit in that one. And then I wrote um, The Houdini Killer, which is the, 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 the book set in, in New York in 77 when um, uh, this girl serial serial killer is competing for headlines with son of sam and then this one which is um uh dead ringer which is vegas in 67 which is based loosely on when howard hughes bought the desert inn and started buying other stuff and basically what this is uh this the story of this book it's there's a bloody war between mobster mo Dalitz and the mormon church uh for control of the las vegas strip with Howard Hughes as the pawn and it came about when because Dallas had owned the desert Inn for like 17 years and you know gangsters ran everything and everybody was happy it was a happy town and the Mormons had decided that it was now God's will that all the money they were making belonged to them and so there was a there was a war and what's great is, you know what I love about this? It's easy also, by the way, to prep for, prep for an interview when a book is so easy to just pick up and skim a quick chapter, and maybe it's just a two- or three-page chapter, right? And, you know, you, you get it. But you lay so much of what you just said out very early in the book. Like, people, there is, it's not hard to jump into this book and find out where you are. And I, for, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here right away. 
I hate spoilers. I'm sorry to give you people spoilers, but if it happens in the first two or three pages of the book, I don't feel that bad, right? Moss gets you into this story so early that the first chapter, I think, is two or three pages long. And yes, this is a spoiler alert from those first two or three pages. It opens with an inebriated Howard Hughes having a foursome with a schoolteacher prostitute and a pair of Asian twins and using firearms as a sex toy. Is that a fair way to describe the opening scene of this book? Well, the way I hear it for you, that's just a normal Saturday night. Well, yeah, look, I'm not saying I haven't seen shit almost that weird in my life, I will tell you. And I've had nights that sounded like that that started at the Double Down, I'll tell you that as well. You're welcome. But yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, man, you you jump right in from the beginning. and You let people know what kind of book this is going to be. Well, the, the, the thing about this book, it's, it's, it's a very bloody, brutal, vicious book, but... There's a lot of sex in it, a lot of fun sex. There's a lot of really creepy sex in it. Uh, and so, yeah, because, I mean, that's just what I do. That's how I write. And, and, and you know, it's like that's what, that's what I do. People expect that. People love that. And, and if you can take a serious story and you can grab people with a little bit of, of, of humor, even if it may be disgusting, people love that. And it, it, makes, it makes your narrative stronger. And that's what I do. It's people like it. It seems to work. And to be honest with you, I couldn't really do it any other way. So yeah, on page three, yeah, that's what you're gonna get. <laughs> and I love it. And then it goes immediate to that to um to you know kind of a shakedown for the sale of a casino and in chapter two. Uh, but what's interesting to me is okay, I read this story and I go. Oh, yeah, I don't know if Howard Hughes ever actually did that, but as I go through this book, there's a lot of attention to detail, to actually being very fact-based, historically accurate, to set a work of fiction in an historically accurate portrayal of what Las Vegas was like circa 1967. How much, and I, and I, by the way, I look at some of the people that wrote the forewords to this book or, you know, the, the reviews on the back, and there are some people who really know Las Vegas who really love this book. So I'm guessing you did a lot of research to make sure that you got the facts that weren't the fiction right. Yes. Every single thing in this book that, that is obviously not a from a fictional character or whatever, the places they went, the things they do, the people they saw, it was all real. I mean, to the point where uh, um, uh, there, there was a scene in a music store. There, there was a, a music store called Garwood Vans Music Land, and it was on Sahara in the Strip. Um, it's where the, the world's largest gift shop is now. Uh, and that was a place where, um, you, know, uh, you know, strip headliners would, would stop in there before the shows and buy sheet music. Uh, it was a record store. It was this. It was, it was really cool. And there were a lot of places in this town then that are long forgotten. And um, uh, so, yeah, you, you, you stay true to all of that. And, uh, and I, I tell you, the, my problem, and I think any serious reader's problem with people who write historical fiction is that they just don't take the time to get their facts right and it makes the whole book suck and these people it, it's it, it's horrible they're horrible whatever it, it, it and it's like there is not one little the tiniest thing in mind that anybody could say wasn't true or didn't happen um one example and it's not historical fiction but uh there was uh i'll say his name he's a jack off um uh, his name is Joe McGinnis, and he wrote a he wrote a uh, um, a novel I don't know 15 years ago. It was a Las Vegas novel, and 
it was obvious from the first few pages he'd never been here, or if he had, he was here for a weekend and got loaded. But I mean, he's like he goes, he, he's writing things like, "Yeah, I was, I was, I was driving down uh, West Charleston, and then I took a left on Sand Hill, and then I was, uh, and I took a right, and I was in Summerlin, and it's like he just." I mean, you can look at a map and see that those things aren't anywhere near each other. And people like that don't deserve shit. And, and when you get to historical fiction, it's a lot easier for people to take liberties. Uh, and it sucks because if you want to put in the work and do the work, you can get it right. And all it's going to do is make your story stronger and make your fan base stronger. And why the hell wouldn't you do the work? Uh, so what was the work like? What was the research like? And especially, you know, you and I were talking that, um, you know, you set a scene in the gourmet room at the Desert Inn here and you really put a lot of detail into the accuracy of what that restaurant was like at the time. So what was it like to research that? Did you have to find people who had eaten there? Did you look at old menus? I mean, how did you get that kind of detail for that scene and for every scene? Well, um, you do it different ways. It's like for speaking of menus, there's a scene in Aku Aku uh, at the Stardust, which, you know, was... A beautiful tiki bar Polynesian restaurant, uh, you know, in the 60s and in the 70s. The guy and the girl go in there and they order a drink. Now, I looked up the Aku Aku menu and I got the exact drink. And you get the drink right. It's not that hard to do. Uh, the Sky Room was harder. That's the gourmet room at, or was the gourmet room at the Desert Inn. Uh, you could find a few things online. You could find old things online. And things that are that old, usually there are a few really old people that have a little 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 group somewhere and they all talk about their memories because it's too long ago to get any real stuff that you can see but you could hear these hear what these people were saying and little details like the uh, um, like like the ceiling there were these tiny little lights in the ceiling that made it look like stars and uh, you know things like that um, so you could look up a lot of things but a lot of that you have to take with a grain of salt you have to really double check it, everything and um, and one thing I really miss about Las Vegas, is the old sports books, where you can sit around and just listen to the old men tell stories. Now they're all dead and gone. Sports books are they're not the same anymore. It doesn't it doesn't matter. It's all gone away. But um, I would talk and listen to some old people. Just hey, what was this like? Or what blah blah blah. So people that were actually there. So you can do it. And to get back to your original question, that's a lot of fun. That, doing that is a lot of fun if you enjoy your subject matter, and I definitely enjoy this subject matter. What about surprising? Anything surprising that when you're doing the research, you're like, holy shit, I knew nothing about that. That's really cool. No, because I'm a really smart guy. Okay. <laughs> cool. And obviously you have a, a huge love of Las Vegas and of its history. And, I mean, you know, as somebody who's been instrumental in creating scenes in Las Vegas, you have a respect for the scenes that came before yours. Yeah, yeah, I very much do. I have a lot of respect for what came, um, you know, before me. And it's like when, when I, Double Down Saloon has been around for, it'll be 30 years in November, uh, which is, I'm really, really proud of. But back then, talking about 92, and I moved here, and I'd been coming to Las Vegas a long time. And all the things that I loved about Las Vegas, I go, because I always wanted to end up here. Okay? So I made the move. I made a decision. I made the move. I'm, I'm going to move here. I'm going to open this bar I want to open. And the thing that disappointed me the most was progress. And not today's version of progress, which, my God. But, uh, but progress in the 90s, because it wasn't all that good, most of it. It just wasn't. 
Um, and so I, w- I just go, shit, I'm, I'm just bemoaning the fact that this isn't the same Las Vegas that I wanted to move to. But then again, like everybody else that gripes and complains, hey, it's progress, get over it, which I did. But that enables me to more, uh, whenever I have an opportunity, dive into what came before and enjoy it and respect it more. And I got to, I get to do a lot of that and say a lot of those things in this book. And that made me happy. And that is P. Moss, owner of the Double Down Saloon and Frankie's Tiki Room and the author of five, yes, five books. The new one, Dead Ringer, is out now and you can get it on Kindle and Amazon. The news is next, including an anniversary for Honey Salt and where you can get your Oktoberfest party on. This is Food and Loathing. It's time for the news. Honey Salt is celebrating its 10-year anniversary this month. To commemorate this landmark, they'll be rolling out two sets of throwback menu specials. The first will be through the 17th of October. It's happening now through the 17th of October. And the second will run October 18th through the 31st. And then the big anniversary party will take place on October 25th. Tickets are $95. We hope to have Elizabeth Blau on next week to talk about those celebrations and how the restaurant helped change the off-strip dining scene. Big party going on this weekend at the Venetian. It's called Taste Makers. It takes place Saturday night at the resort's pool deck. It's a dine-around hosted by three of the resort's celebrity chefs, Wolfgang Puck, Tatsuya Wakuda, and Lorena Garcia. We'll all be there. Most of the resort's other restaurants will be represented as well, as will the Cocktail Collective. Tickets are a nice exact uh, round number, $298.58. I assume there's some tax. Just bring three Franklins and you'll be fine. Uh, Find them at uh, VenetianVegas.com slash entertainment. And that is VenetianLasVegas.com. VenetianLasVegas.com. Let me do a, yeah, yeah. You know, um, these dine-arounds were like all the rage when I first moved to Vegas, and they, they were always for charities and things yeah, like that. Yeah. You'd always have like, you know, to, for the culinary education or whatever, and it was always a big collaborative event. And then the resorts kind of said, well, why don't we just do these on our own instead mm-hmm. of sending our chefs to somebody else's pool? And yeah. there was a time, I remember I was in Involved with Three Square, and I was helping them plan their fundraising. I don't know, probably seven, eight, nine years ago. And I said, like, the dine arounds have just become so fucking passe. Like, I think people are tired of them. You stand by a pool, going from place to place, trying to balance your your plate yeah. of food. Um, but like so much else, things go away, and you start to miss them after a while. Oh, you that's know, a good point. and yeah. um, so I'm really looking forward to that one at the Venetian this weekend. Yeah, that'll be awesome. You might have to tell me about that one. I've got something I've got to do, but I might still look into that. Okay. Well, you've heard us talk to and about Pot's Egyptian by Iman Hagag on this show a few times recently. She has now released a collection of spices and condiments you can order online. That website is potsegyptian.com. And if you hurry, you might still get in on a 10% offer for your first order. Southwest Vegas is getting a new food hall called The Sundry in early 2023, being opened by Michael Mina's Mina Group and the management company Highgate. It will include a local spot like St. Honoré Bakery, as well as Soul Belly Barbecue, and a spot from chef and restaurateur Dominique Kren, as well as others. Yeah, and this is the Uncommons Project. Yeah. Um, now, we've been hearing about this for a while Um and I'm curious about the details. I'm going to an event for this tomorrow in our recording time, but definitely before we meet to record our next podcast. Um, and I'm, I'm very curious about what Michael, what the MENA Group's 
um, involvement is going to be because I didn't necessarily think they were running the whole thing. I thought they were just going to have no, a they, venue I, in there. No, they're bringing in another CEO, um, but the bits that I was finding didn't have him by name. It just said CEO, yeah. so I didn't want to just... Right, so we're, we're going to have to figure out exactly yeah. um, what the details are, and hopefully they'll talk about that at the thing. But, you know, it's this has been a long time in coming. It's all part... Look, Durango uh, at the 215, where the bend, what they're calling the bend, yep. the bend is going in there. We've got brand new um, station casinos yeah, going in there. Yeah, you can see there. the construction as yeah. you drive by. We have Uncommons going in there, so it's going to be a real foodie hub. I yep. think that intersection is also going to be a bitch for me to get on the 215 there, which is where I usually do <laughs> from my house. Yeah. So thanks for ruining that for me. But you can always go down the Gramercy and get on there. There you go. Perfect. Traffic. So I'm excited about that. Corey's Fine Wines and Spirits in Henderson. That's eastern between Silverado Ranch Boulevard and St. Rose. Has expanded its shop and in-house service. Not only has the packaged alcohol section expanded, they paid special attention to their seating areas and on-site sales. This goes from the original three beer taps in 2010 to 20 taps today. And a huge on-site wine selection. That's Corey's Fine Wines. Open seven days a week starting at 10 a.m. And you heard me discuss one October celebration that is now complete, but there are plenty more if you missed that one. Uh, Hofbrau House has celebrity tappers every Friday and Saturday all month. I think they're going to use those hammers that I didn't get to use at mine. <laughs> um, Derek England was last weekend. I know this Friday, the day that this podcast drops, you'll have Carolyn Goodman uh, tap, tapping a keg over there at Hofbrau House, and you can find the whole list of things. So that's going on all month long over there. Uh, also, the Container Park is having its bottomless brew fest on October. October 15th as an Oktoberfest celebration that runs 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. and that's 35 bucks. And Pine Dining up on the mountain. They're um, back, baby. They are back, baby, and they want to do some something autumnal, I guess. So October 15th and 16th will be their Oktoberfest celebration up on the mountain. Tickets for that are 85 bucks a day. There's also some rideshare options available, things like that. So check out Having the done some of the Pine Dining from previous, there's not a lot of parking up there. So if you can get on the shuttles... Just putting it out there, maybe grab the shuttle. Yeah, I'm not sure that they're right. – you're going to have to check it out online. I'm not sure they're running the same kind of shuttles this year this, yeah. for this, but they may be. So definitely look into that. And that is it for this week. Thanks to everyone who spoke to us. Thanks to Buddy Velastro for chatting with me, and thanks to P. Moss for um, talking to me about his book. Please tell a friend about Food and Loathing, which is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, and spread the word on social media. Just search for Food and Loathing. If you have a question or comment, reach us direct by email, info at foodandloathing.vegas. And if you're interested in what I'm getting up to, if you want to get a hold of me and eat 20 tacos from four different restaurants <laughs> in one sitting, <clears throat> find me on the socials at Wishbone and Vine. Let's, let's go out there and have some food. If you haven't done it yet, download the Neon Feast app. Use it to find your next dining destination. Whatever you need, whatever you want, find it at Neon Feast or neonfeast.com. And if you're wondering what I'm up to, Tough shit. I'm not telling you. <laughs> and I am more than just a pretty voice. I'm also an ugly face. And you can see it every other Wednesday on the CW Las Vegas at approximately 8.15 a.m. No, I don't think. No, I think that's about it for me on TV this week. But you can get – that won't be this week. Anyway, that's about it for me on TV that I have to talk about. But you can catch me all week long on the radio. The Neon Feast update runs on the Vibe, 99.7 here in Las Vegas, 98.1 in the high desert, and 90. 8.9 at the river and then every
Every Thursday morning around 8, 10 a.m., I am on the club at AM 670 KMZQ, the only show, I think, on that channel where they're not yelling about politics all day long. <laughs> With Samantha Gemini Stevens and producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.